Farmers today are facing rising costs, volatile markets, and extreme weather. The Better Way to Farm podcast digs into strategies to help you take control of farm inputs and maximize profit so your farm can thrive for generations. Remember to take advantage of our free resources at abetterwaytofarm.com. Now, from America's heartland, here's your host. Hey guys, Rod here at A Better Way to Farm, where we improve yields and increase profits. Thank you for tuning in today. We're super excited to be talking about potassium. Yep, we're sporting one of our favorite Christmas shirts. I like the Believe hat on the little bee, and my daughter says that you're 10% happier if you wear a good Christmas sweater or Christmas shirt. My wife says if you put on a Santa hat, you get another 10%. So I've got 20% more happiness here, no charge. Guys, seriously, get into the season. It's okay. Let's have some fun. Tonight, we're going to talk about potassium, and I'm super excited about it. It's going to be longer. Um, there's a lot of material here that we want to go over. It's going to be fantastic. It ties in very closely with magnesium, which will be day four, and I'm looking forward to getting to that one too. But let's dive in here on the potassium, see what we can learn, and what is it that we can do that might make your life better to help you make some better decisions in order to make some more money. Well, first of all, what we're going to look at is we're going to look and say, okay, the potassium nutrient, what does it do? Well, it's important for carbohydrate metabolism and the breakdown and the translocation of starches. In other words, it's going to move that starch within the plant. It's going to increase photosynthesis. It's going to increase water efficiency. There was every year when the lion's share of us here farming in the United States needed to increase water use efficiency. This was it. And I, we're not seeing a lot of change coming in the future here. We're still very dry where we live. It's essential to protein synthesis. It's important for fruit formation. It activates the enzymes and controls the reaction rates. It improves the quality of your seed or fruit. And guys, it will also improve winter hardiness, especially if you're using it on alfalfa. And it increases disease resistance. Guys, copper and uh, potassium are two biggies that really help with the disease to be resistant. Being short in any nutrient is gonna make you more likely to have disease or bugs come to see you. But in particular, copper and potassium are two that you do not want to be short in because those really invite in pests. Working out of our agronomy handbook here from Midwest Labs, it talks about the fact that there are three different, if you will, numbers on potassium. And let's remember, guys, that potassium is a cation. The other cations that we would tend to take a look at would be potassium, magnesium, calcium, sodium, and aluminum. And obviously when we're looking at these things, we've already talked about aluminum, how it's not our friend, and we're going to hit that again and again. But when we get to talking about the cations, those are the ones that you know we have to work to maintain to make sure we've got them where we want them in the right percentages on our base saturation. In regards to potassium, the book says, number one, you have relatively unavailable potassium. And that would constitute somewhere between 90 and 98% of the K in your soil. Number two, you would have slowly available potassium. This is the form that is primarily in minerals or potassium fertilizer that have attached to the surface of the organic matter and the clay minerals between the layers of the clay minerals and where it is released by a process called weathering. This would constitute somewhere between 1% and 10% of the total K in the soil. And then, lastly, we have the readily available potassium. This is the part that's held by the organic matter and on the very edges of the clay mineral layers. It is already 
present in a form dissolved in the soil solution from where it may be taken up by the plant roots. That constitutes somewhere between one-tenth of one percent and two percent of the soil. Guys, if only two percent of the K in the soil is extractable, there's a lot of K there. We got to figure out how to go get that. What is it that we're going to do? I want to review how our nutrients move into the plant. The plant grows down with roots. It goes down, it goes down, and then hair roots grow in between the soil colloids, in between those clay layers, if you will, and those roots exude an acid, and then that is drawn back in. That acid extracts the K off of the colloid, off of the clay particle, and draws it back in. This is why anytime we do anything that packs our soil down, we end up with less available potassium. Why? Because the tighter it is, the less the hair roots grow in. The less the hair roots grow in, the less acid gets exuded. The less acid gets exuded, the less nutrient is released and brought back. Soil structure is everything, guys. Tight soil is our enemy. It is not our friend. High mag soil is our enemy. It is not our friend and using certain products tend to create that tightness. I want to invite you guys, go to our podcast platform of your choice, type in A Better Way to Farm, and find the one by Dr. Richard Mulvaney that's on the potassium paradox, and just listen to it with an open mind. Let him share some things with you that'll make you a lot of money, that will help you. But knowing that 90 to 98% of the K in the soil is locked up and it's insoluble, because it won't release to help the growing crop. Knowing that one-tenth of 1% to 2% is what we're running off of, we're gonna let that preface everything else that we do, guys. And we're gonna talk about how we can get more and more of that 98 moving into that one to 10, and how we're gonna get that one to 10% to move into the one-tenth to 2% that becomes available. That's what we're gonna be looking at as we go through here. You know, it's interesting because I have a really good friend, Greg. Greg, thank you for going pheasant hunting and leaving me at home. He's in South Dakota having a good time today. I feel a little bit sad for him. He's missing out on all of this. You know, he's up there, but we, we did a great meeting for Greg this past week. And, and one of the things that he sent me a text, he said, the potassium is driving me crazy because he'd done a soil health test and they had figured out that his potassium in his soil, in his top six inches of soil, was over 58,000 pounds, 58,000 pounds. And yet his potassium in parts per million was 155. Well, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, does it? And here's the kicker at 155, because he has a, you know, a fairly high CEC, a CEC of 20, 155 is only considered medium. Guys, I'm gonna take a sidebar here and digress. You need to get your hands on this. It's called the Table of Ratings, or Table 167. It's two pages. It comes from Midwest Labs. Go download it. And the thing that they talk about here on the first page is your cations. You know, on page two, down in here, we look at all the different nutrients, P1, P2, all of your different organic matter, sulfur, zinc, manganese, and so on. And those levels are fixed. You know, the bottom line is, if you have a boron level of zero to 0 0.3, you're very, very low. It doesn't matter what your CEC is. However, with your cations, knowing if you're high, medium, or low is dependent upon the CEC. The greater the exchange capacity, the higher the number has to be to be in a way that it's considered high that will make it available. With a CEC of 20, we have about a 155 parts per million of K. We're in the medium range. Conventional wisdom would say, man, lay it on there, put a lot on, put a whole bunch of potassium chloride on there. 
Guys, if you followed us, you know I'm not a fan of potassium chloride. As a matter of fact, my good friend Dusty from Minnesota sent me a cartoon, and what he implied with his cartoon was that potassium chloride was created by the devil. I'm probably not going to argue with that because I don't think it is your friend. And so what do we want to do? Well, let's take Dr. Mulvaney talking about the fact that in the top six feet, now Greg just proved in the top six inches, there's 58,000 pounds of K, all right? Dr. Mulvaney says in the top six feet, there are 360,000 pounds of K up to 450,000 pounds. Guys, that's 225 ton of K in that top six feet. You say, why is that relevant? Well, when we do the right things, when we make sure our soil structure is correct, when we do the right things to drive roots, we actually can get roots that go down six feet. What does that do? That pulls the potassium that's five feet, six feet down, brings it up into the plant and leaves it in the residue. That which is left in the residue is much more water soluble. It washes out pretty quickly and it doesn't just stay on top. It gets back into that root zone where we can utilize it. That I'm gonna talk about the best way to build it here as we wrap up because everybody wants to know how do I build my K levels? What have I got to do in order to get these to jump up? And we're gonna talk about that. That table of ratings is your friend, guys, because those of us are farming where I'm at and we have a CEC of about 10. If we can get our K levels to 150, we're in great shape. As a matter of fact, getting it above that's probably going to be almost impossible because our soil won't hold it. And if we keep continuing to apply and apply and apply, it doesn't change the whole idea. That's why sometimes we see guys in a build program, they never get it built. That's one of the reasons that that happens. I want to share with you, I did it on phosphorus on day two. And on here on day three, I want to talk about uptake versus removal because this is really important. And if you're watching this and you've got some well-intentioned neighbor who wants to buy your stocks and give you 10 bucks a bale or 20 bucks a bale, I want you to pay close attention here. I have some really good friends out in, in West Central Nebraska, and they had a neighbor who had been buying stocks, and when they decided they didn't want to take part in that anymore, he got pretty bent out of shape. Well, you know what I say, everything that happens in ag is good for somebody. The question is who? And so this was where it was a pretty good deal for the guy buying the stocks. 175 bushel corn, it takes 0.95 pounds of K into the plant. That's not the removal rate. It takes 0.95 into the plant or 166 pounds per acre. If you move from 175 bushel corn to 257 bushel corn, it took 1.75 pounds, just shy of 2X. In other words, you could grow 175 bushel corn on 166 pounds of K into the plant. To grow 257, you needed 450 pounds of K. 450 versus 166. Guys, how are we going to do that? We're not going to do it by letting it come out of the soil. We're absolutely not. Remember, potassium doesn't become available until the soil temperature gets to at least 65. Some soil scientists would say 75. Regardless, it's way too late. Remember this, that corn plant needs more potassium in the first 25 days than it does N or P. And in the first 50 days, it needs almost four times as much potassium as it needs phosphorus. What does that mean? It means row place starter orthophosphate high K made with potassium hydroxide starter is your friend. It's how we force feed that in there. 
That's what we're going to do to get those numbers in there because this is one of the things that separates the people with great yields from guys that are wanting to have great yields is this deal. Now, here's where it gets interesting. The removal rate at either level was about 0.22. So that being said, 175 bushel corn, you took 37 pounds of K out the gate, leaving behind 129 pounds in the stover. 129 pounds of K. I don't know if you want to sell that or not. I think you got to put a dollar value on it. Say there's 129 pounds of potassium. Just potassium doesn't count phosphorus, doesn't count micronutrients, doesn't count organic matter, doesn't count carbon, doesn't count any of the things that we need. Just that. But here's the real deal, because a lot of you are growing 250, 280, 300 bushel corn. 257 bushel corn only took 57 pounds of potassium out the gate with the grain. That left 300 and 93 pounds of K in the stover. 393 pounds. I did some looking last night, as near as I could tell, a pound of potassium's worth about 30 cents. So if that's the case, 30 cents a pound, 393 pounds, that stover, just the residue, that stover is worth $117.90 per acre in just K. If you're selling stocks, guys, if they're going to a feedlot and they're coming back in manure, or you have a dairy and they're coming back in manure, somehow they're getting put back, I am totally cool with that. But if you're not, then I'm kind of thinking that it's not the best idea for you, that you need to rethink what you're doing and say, hey, let's do what's good for me, not what's good for the guy over here that needs the stocks. I understand he needs them, but he may have to pay fair market value. And fair market value says, I got to be paid for all my nutrients. And there's value in that organic matter. There's value in that carbon that isn't going to be there to release later in the year. So therefore, I got to be paid for that. Guys, that little tip right there can change your life. It can make you a lot of money. And we want to encourage you to do that. As I grab into page 127 here, my favorite little book, the Fertilizer Handbook. Let's see what they had to say and what I wanted to share out of this. When we start looking at potassium here, the amount of potassium in the soil solution is a very small portion of the available potassium. Hydrogen and other cations displace it and exchangeable cat potassium from the colloidal surfaces into the soil solution where it is absorbed by the roots. Only about one to 2% of the potassium is exchangeable. Coming back to it, another book saying exactly the same thing. And guys, I'm gonna talk about K-mag ratios here in a little bit, but they're really, really important and that can impact what you're getting out of that too. Let's talk about the deficiencies. What does it look like when we have a K deficiency? And it's gonna be yellow, right? Everybody knows that. And I wanna drive this home. Here is a stereotypical K deficiency. Yellow, almost looking burnt all the way up the edge and down the edge of the leaves in the older growth. Guys, remember this. Magnesium shows up in the old growth, the bottom of the plant. Manganese shows up in the new growth at the top of the plant as intravenal striping. Sulfur tends to show up in the top of the plant with a complete yellow leaf because it doesn't translocate. It stays down in the older part. Nitrogen does translocate, and so you'll get a yellowing there, but that's going to be out at the tip and coming working its way back down in a V on those lower leaves. We really need to know how to diagnose those. So what is the symptoms of a plant starved for potassium? It grows slowly. The margins develop that scorched effect starting on your older leaves. Guys, your stock will be weak and it will lodge easily. 
The seed or the fruit will shrivel and not be where it needs to be. And its resistance to rust and other disease is significantly reduced. Guys, that's not what we want. We want healthy plants. We want to keep the pests, the fungi, the different things that we're battling in our fields. We want to keep that away from us as much as we possibly can. Also looking out of these guys here on page 120 in regards to potassium. Potassium in commercial fertilizers is chiefly supplied in the form of potassium chloride or potassium sulfate. Whereas the introduction of chloride serves no useful purpose these compounds are used in fertilizer manufacturing for crops, and a lot of those crops have a very low chlorine tolerance. Guys, if you're going to broadcast K, I can't begin to tell you how much I want you. I don't sell potassium sulfate, but I want you to use it. I want you to use it. Dr. Mulvaney would say that perhaps you'd be better off to put on none than to put on potassium chloride. Why is that? Because potassium chloride hurts soil structure. Potassium chloride hurts life in the soil. Potassium chloride lets that tighten down. And when that soil tightens down, we get less hair roots growing in. We get less potassium being extractable. So actually applying a great amount of potassium chloride may reduce the amount of available potassium that we can have to utilize to go into that growing plant. Something I just want you guys to think about. I'm not asking you to agree with us. I'm asking you to do some research. Start digging. Do your own research and see what it is that you come up with on this. As we get into looking at Don Schrieffer's book, we start talking about from the soil up and we dive in here. And what does he have to say? Potassium chloride, commonly called muriate of potash, is the most common form. Keep in mind that 0060 is a salt. Potassium chloride is a salt. And as such, it can be harmful to roots and even to soil life. When applied to the soil, 0060 dissolves in soil moisture and breaks apart as the K and the CL break apart. The K can adhere to the negatively charged soil particle. The chlorine will leach out or combine with calcium to form calcium chloride or road salt. Potassium sulfate, let's look at another option here, something else that maybe we would be better off to use. Potassium sulfate. This product is about 17% sulfur and 50% potassium. As we start looking at that product as a 005017, we get a lot of things. It's an excellent product. It's in heavy demand in some of the industries that have already figured out how important this is, like the tobacco industry. Potato growers, they get a big boost out of using potassium sulfate. And yes, it is quite a bit more expensive, but you have to figure in the value of the sulfur as well. When he gets to talking about the different things that potassium do, he's got the functions listed here. It regulates an activities of more than 40 enzymes. It is responsible for cellulose production and cell wall strength, which results in resistance to disease and lodging. It increases oxygen intake through the stomata openings, thus increasing photosynthesis and increasing sugar. Guys, sugar is important. Every bushel of corn takes 100 pounds of sugar produced. We are actually having sugar factories in our fields. 300 bushel corn takes 30,000 pounds of sugar to the acre. Beans take 300 pounds to the bushel. 100 bushel beans, you need 30,000 pounds. So what does that mean? That means this adequate potassium in the right form in that plant at the right time is gonna help us get that yield. It's also gonna facilitate the movement of sugars and starches to the sites of need. Sugar movement is important to get fill grain and to prevent backlogging in your chloropast, which will 
cause a reduction in photosynthesis. Guys, this is really important because it also plays a role in the conversion of nitrogen into protein, and therefore we can reduce non-protein nitrogen if we don't have the right amount of potassium. It does improve drought resistance. He talks about that again. And so there's a lot of things here that are very, very important. This is a product that is ever increasing. We know there are more and more ways to get it. He also talks about no different than the other book. He talks about the unavailable potassium, the slowly available potassium, and the readily available potassium. This source, the readily available, is held two ways. First, it's on the negative cation exchange sites. And since potassium has a positive charge, it is attracted to those sites on the soil colloid and held onto like a magnet. Roots can remove it directly from the surface of the soil colloid. The second way in which it is held is in the water film around the soil particles. This is the most readily available form, and these potassium-rich moisture films are the primary source of K for the plants. As the exchangeable surface potassium is depleted, storehouse K will move very slowly from out between the clay layers and back into the exchange sites in an attempt to reach and maintain equilibrium. So guys, doing the right thing, getting that soil loose, making it be our friend, is gonna continue to pay great, great dividends. He's talking about application here, and he says surface banding of a cation such as potassium would not be done because it will not penetrate sufficiently into the root zone. Applying potassium, that's why it's better in the plant because that's more water soluble in that residue, and it'll go out, but just spreading it on top is not the way to go and not gonna do that much for us. Soil magnesium levels must be checked in making potassium recommendations. High potash applications on soils that are marginal in magnesium can cause a magnesium deficiency. And I want to talk a little bit about this. The normal range for base saturation of magnesium should be somewhere between 12 and 18% in your base saturation rates, okay? Guys, we have spent a lot of time on this. We figured out several years ago that there was a relationship between K and mag. And there's a ratio there, and you can't change it. It's not, everybody's always trying to figure out, well, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to make it so it's not like that anymore? You're not. You're not going to fix it. What you are going to do is farm around it, and it's easy to farm around. Problem number one, the problem I have here on my field that's right across the road from us, in that cornfield, our mag levels are outrageous. They're about eight to ten times greater than our K levels. What does that mean? That means at the absorption site on the roots, the mag is overwhelming the K and it's going into the plant at a much higher rate than it should at the expense of not getting potassium in the plant. So what do we do? We row place a high K starter. We take a 315, 19, 19% K, 3% sulfur, and we put it in the trench and we force feed that K into that plant. And that's how we overcome that. Now let's talk about some of my friends, especially out in Nebraska, we see this a lot. Their K levels are off the chart. And oftentimes, just like my good friend Jerry, who confirmed this with us, he called, and it's been several years ago, and he said, Rod, I got a problem. I've had multiple people look at it. They're saying sulfur, they're saying K, they're saying all kind of nitrogen. He said, but I don't think that's what it is. And I said, Jerry, please get your soil test and tell me how much your K and your mag levels are. 
And the first thing he did was read me the base saturations, which were fairly good, actually. But I was like, no, that's not what I need. I need it in parts per million. Because here's what I know. When your potassium numbers in parts per million is greater than your magnesium in parts per million, now the potassium is overwhelming the magnesium and you're not going to get enough magnesium into the plant. The fix for that is relatively inexpensive and really easy. You just replace some chelated magnesium and you can come around that. And so we're super excited to have figured out those ratios and been able to make things work better. And guys, that tip right there on either side of that ratio can make you a lot of money. I want to encourage you to go look at your soil test and pay attention to it. As we grab into the life and energy in the soil here, talking about the different things with potassium, and he says that this element is normally thought of in reference as potash. Next to nitrogen, potassium is the most misused, overused, and abused element in agriculture. It is also the most profitable for the industry, okay? There's profit in this, so there's a reason to sell it. Its basic function is to determine the caliber or thickness of the stalks, the fruit size, and the number of fruit that it sets. Used in excess, potassium will replace calcium in the cell structure, resulting in a diseased cell. An indicator, see if this makes you think of anything at all, guys. A sure indicator of potash excess is the occurrence of black spots on the leaves. This is not a new book, guys. What was he telling us? We're inducing some of these problems because we use too much K and we don't have enough copper. We got to make sure that we got everything in the right ratio and the right amount. The four R's really do work if we use them. Here's my favorite line. Modern agriculture has become addicted to nitrogen and potash. Like any drug addiction, the requirement for the drug increases constantly. The farmers are told that to get more yield, they have to add more nitrogen and potash. As the soil degenerates, it requires more of this drug just to sustain the yield. Potash does have its place in crop production, but it must be in balance with all the other elements. Guys, I just want to stress this. This is important because overusing this hurts us. Like overusing nitrogen, it comes home to haunt us. It costs us money, and we don't want to be doing that. And it doesn't only cost us money in what we're spending for it. It costs us money in lost yield and long-term ramifications because we know that when we do things correctly, there is that 450,000 pounds. Maybe it's as little as only 360,000 pounds. That's just 180 ton of K in the top six feet of that soil. Let's go get it. Let's figure out how to take that and utilize that where we don't have to pay for it. And now we're going to dive in here and start looking at some other things. I'm going to start on 327 in the hands-on book, which is at the back. But in the first 25 days, your plant needs 19 pounds of nitrogen. In the first 25 days, your plant needs four pounds of phosphorus. And in the first 25 days, your plant needs 22 pounds of potassium. Guys, the only way to do that is a high K starter. And it's got to be the right kind of K. It really does make a difference. Guys, when we're starting to look at how we're going to force feed 22 pounds of K into that plant, we're going to have to row place it in a form that'll go right into that plant and be our friend and work. As we take a look at here, some other things that Neil has to say regarding this high yielding crops. High yielding crops with adequate fertility will use more water more efficiently. 
guys, to drought proof your crop, to be able to take that stress longer, we have to have everything correct. We can't be lacking for anything. If that plant's starved for one nutrient, it's looking for it and it's drinking. If we wanna be judicious with our water use, then we have to be able to make it work. One of the things here that this guy talks about is the fact that where they had the fertilized right, they grew 7.6 bushels of corn per inch of water. Where it wasn't right, they only got 5.3. We gotta figure out what do we want here? How much water do we need? Popcorn will show a potassium deficiency very quickly. If you can keep potassium in the plant, you can get yield. Potassium has much more to do with yield than most people would think. I know a lot of you don't grow popcorn, but it, it crosses over into regular field corn just as well, guys. Myrdiate of potash or potassium chloride is basically the same, whether it's the red 0060 or the white 0062. If your pH is 6.5, it is possible to build potassium levels a little. If your pH is 6.6, .6, this product will not build potassium levels very much, if any. At 6.7, there is not much chance to build the level at all. And at 6.8, there will be no buildup of the sample depth, even though 2,000 pounds are applied to each acre over a five-year period. These guys did a test put on 400 pounds per year and couldn't change the level any in the soil. Guys, what does that tell us? It tells us that getting everything correct and is just about not putting more on. Putting more on is not gonna take us where we wanna go. It's not gonna get the job done and we gotta figure out how to use this in the right way. Here we are again, another person saying the average Midwestern soil, if you measure all of the potassium in it, will have 30 to 50,000 pounds in the top seven inches. What did Greg have? He had 58,000 pounds in the top six inches. This potassium, is generally in the wrong form for the plant to use. If the soil can be managed, you can turn loose a mother load of nutrients in very small amounts over a period of time. And it's impossible to go a long time without potassium inputs. Guys, if we wanna go for a long time and not put on any K, what do we gotta do? We gotta get things working right. We gotta figure out how life works and get on the right side of it. The key, get the microbial activity going in the soil. And that just keeps coming back from author to author to author. We want to make sure that we're listening to these guys because they're trying to make us money. There's a Midwest theory that potassium gets around in the water and finally gets trapped between the soil colloids and it can't get loose until something is done to change the chemistry. In that form, it is unavailable to the plant because the soil colloid has trapped the potassium. However, this is why whenever magnesium gets higher and higher and the soil gets tighter and tighter, potassium availability gets lower and lower and lower. As you bring your mag levels down, your soil loosens up, you can actually release that potassium that's trapped in between those soil particles. Same thing we talked about, roots, root hairs, acid, bring it back in. The tighter the soil, the less you're gonna get. Also, we wanna make sure and understand this. In the presence of ammonium nitrogen, there will be a problem with microbial fixation. Too much nitrogen hurts us, guys. And that attachment to the soil colloid, the higher the nitrogen, the more potassium it will take to do the same job. We're back to the drug addiction. We put on more in, we put on more in, now we have to put on more K, we have to put on more K, which makes us need more in and more K. And it's a never-ending cycle, guys, and that is not where we wanna be, that is not where we wanna go. Potassium is one of the keys for stock strength, but the crop also has to have enough copper and manganese, and it's important to understand those, getting those levels in there so that we can do the right thing and get the right crop response. 
Certain farmers and consultants have determined in their mind that if you have nematodes and you apply potassium, you eliminate the nematode problem in your soil. I have clients who have had problems with nematodes and they put on plenty of potassium. Where we have nematodes, we never eliminate the problem by putting on K. If you make the plant look better and do better, but the nematode problem stays, you have to use other materials for nematode control. Where we have sodium that is higher than potassium, it can look like a nematode problem. But you solve the problem by adding potassium, that is not going to do the same thing as cure the nematodes. Anytime you have sodium higher than potassium, you're going to have a problem. That sodium will be causing a problem with cell wall expansion. Apply enough K to raise the level above sodium and the problem melts away. Ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate you tuning in. What I want to do right now is kind of wrap this thing up. We have people. I got a good friend named Andy and some other guys up in Northwest Iowa. And it took them about three or four years, but they have figured out how to build their K levels. What are they doing? High K starter, 215-19-3 in the trench. And then they're coming in with a liquid potassium sulfate, two by two, 0, 0 And they're deep banding it, two to four gallon. Then they're coming back with our potassium sulfate, hitting it again with a couple gallon when they wide drop. What's happening? They're forcing K into that plant. They're forcing that residue to have high K levels. And when they do that, that residue gets left behind and that washes out. And they're seeing their K levels increase at a rate that they've never been able to do before. If you're interested in figuring out how to build some K levels, you'd like to talk to us. I'll tell you what, we've got a couple of these fundamentals of agronomy coming up here. Well, we've got a whole bunch of them. But two in particular, I'd love to talk to you about going to between now and the end of the year. They're strung out all over the United States. Just reach out to us and someone from the team will contact you and we will be able to say, hey, come and take a look at this and take a look at how you can build your K levels. Because how are we going to do it? We're going to force feed K into the plant. We're going to leave our residue behind and not bail it. And we're going to find success in what we're doing. Thank you for tuning in tonight. I hope this finds you getting ready for the holidays. Do a little shopping, put up some decorations, find your best shirt, and whatever you do, guys, keep studying. Let's keep working. Let's make 2024 the best year that we have ever, ever had. Thank you guys for tuning in. We look forward to talking to you about day four when we're going to look at magnesium, and we really do hope you're having a better day. You're listening on the Verbal Crowd Network. Find more great shows at verbalcrowd.com.